giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Matt Dana, the co-founder and CEO of Boulevard, which powers next-gen salons and spas. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Chad. Great to be here. One of the things that I was interested in learning about Boulevard is it's a large product that does a lot for salons and spas. And so I'm interested in talking with you about sort of the process of getting to where you are today. But why don't we get started by giving folks an overview of everything that Boulevard does for salons and spas? Yeah, absolutely. So Boulevard offers what we think is the first and and really only business management platform that's really focused around the client experience. We work with businesses that help all of us look and feel our best. And it's a really special industry to be powering where there's a really close sense of like that human touch and that human element. We try to use technology to help automate and and relieve the day-to-day operations as much as we can uh, for these businesses so that they can focus on providing that world-class client experience and and deepening relationships with with their clients. And tactically, that's online booking, scheduling, payments, schedule management, all that kind of stuff that goes into running yeah, absolutely. So it goes all the way from, like you said, scheduling to we are a fully integrated payment solution to we even have time clock uh, and commission reporting. Uh, and so it, it really goes from managing everything kind of front of house all the way through back of house and happy to share more about how the, how we ended up building such a, a, a wide and deep product because uh, it's, it's definitely an interesting story. Yeah. So you were not in the salon industry prior to Boulevard. Is that right? That's correct. So how did you end up getting brought into this industry? Yeah. So the the founding story, uh, so my background is in software engineering, but ended up turning much more into a designer over time. So I've been naturally drawn to building technology for creative individuals. Uh, and so at my last startup, uh, which is called Full Screen, it was a startup here in LA, we were helping YouTube creators make better content online, helping them monetize on YouTube, understand their audience. And this was in the days where YouTubers couldn't monetize directly, they needed to go through a network. And so we created this proprietary technology offering that really helped them understand kind of how to build their audience and and further monetize. So the original founding story was that I met my co-founder of Boulevard at full screen. Uh, his name is Sean Stavropoulos. And I was a VP of product, he was a VP of engineering. And uh, the kind of inception moment was that there was this like week where Sean's hair was a complete disaster. <laughs> and as a great colleague, I was making fun of him. Uh, <laughs> and telling him like, dude, you need to go get a haircut. And he said to me that he kept forgetting to call his salon during the day to make an appointment. And at night when he remembered to do, you know, those types of things, uh, the salon's obviously closed. And we were just thinking how much friction there was as a client of these businesses in like the booking process and that 
we didn't understand why you had to do so, basically so much work in order to be a client. It, it just was incongruent with what was going on in other industries and kind of, you know, restaurants and everything going through this digital transformation. Our hypothesis was that they must still be on pen and paper. They haven't adopted technology yet. And that's why you you need to call is to, to make an appointment. And we started thinking a lot about this problem uh, and started <laughs> obsessing over it. Uh, and there was a, a weekend that we were hanging out and we ended up walking in uh, to uh, a few different salons and spas in a neighborhood that we were hanging out. And we did a bunch of research and asked them uh, a lot of questions. We, we said we were UCLA students working on a research <laughs> project, which was a pretty smart move because everyone, you know, loves talking to students and, you know, we weren't trying to sell them anything. We were trying to learn more. Um, and so uh, it was a good research tip is just, just stay here. You're always a student. And we ended up learning and, and we're super surprised that they were all using technology. All the technology that these businesses were using were also capable of online booking. And so like, we're like, okay, none of this makes hmm. sense. Like you're making your customers call you, but you have these capabilities. We're like, you know, we're like, do you need help embedding it into your website? Like, why don't you use online booking? And their answer would be, we absolutely cannot use online booking. No way. Uh, which made us even more curious. Uh, and so what we ended up learning was that self-care businesses, you know, salons, spas, nail salons, you name it, they're generally running on pretty thin profit margins, like in the five to 10% neighborhood, because their labor costs are so high relative to their sales. Mm -hmm. And the other important piece that we learned was that the front desk has outsized control over the revenue that the business makes simply by how they place appointments on the calendar. And so when you call to make an appointment, they're looking up to see if you have a client file, to see if you've been there before, what services did you get, who were they with, how long exactly did they take. They're also looking to see when they could fit you in. Uh, and they're doing you know, double booking, triple booking whenever possible so that staff can be with multiple clients at once and, and double up. And then they're also making sure like there's no gaps between appointments. And so like they're doing basically this yield optimization, schedule optimization mm -hmm. on the fly. And none of that was taken into account if customers self-booked using any of the solutions available on the market. And so we thought that this was like, a straight up technology problem to solve that these businesses needed an online booking solution. So customers can have that convenience of self booking whenever they want, but it also needs to take into account some of that business logic that the front desk follows so that they don't get gaps in the day and uh, have a really suboptimal and an efficient calendar. Uh, and so that's where we thought we could provide some particular value that would be unique in the industry. And that was what we focused our MVP on was was that very thing, having an intelligent scheduling solution. It seems like it's a pretty big leap for the director of product and director of engineering at a startup to discover a problem like this and then actually make the jump to working on it <laughs> and, yeah. and making it real. Was there something in particular that happened? Why did you do that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, we had a, you know, being executives at the startup um, and, you know, really loving the team, loving what we were doing, our mission. But I think one of the motivators and kind of catalysts was when we were doing this field research and we ended up going out to a couple hundred businesses over the course of several weekends to learn even more about this like problem area. Uh, But one of the things that was so evident and clear was that all of the technology in the market, these customers, these businesses were using, they were negative NPS scores. Like we, they were mm-hmm. like, oh, we use, you know, X, Y, or Z solution and we, we really don't like it. It's so hard to use. Like they, you would see like the red in their eyes when they would talk about this technology. And we're like, there's something very powerful here. And like, we weren't exactly sure at the time, was it legacy technology, not keeping up with like modern needs of these businesses and kind of the growing expectations from end consumers, or was it kind of user error problems? And we have come to the conclusion that it it was really a lack of innovation in the market from existing vendors. And that got us particularly excited. And we formed a lot of conviction, so much conviction that, you know, we made the leap to start working on this. So we transitioned out of our you know, full-time uh, executive day jobs. And we ended up doing a little bit of consulting work while we were doing a lot of product discovery um, so about, about six months, we were doing like three days a week on Boulevard and a couple of days a week on consulting. Uh, so it was a, a nice little part-time way to keep paying the bills, but also uh, then you know, be able to spend a significant amount of our brain space thinking about this uh, opportunity and what problems we wanted to solve. So may- maybe I'm just off base here and I'm, I'm not trying to get you to say uh, that something was wrong at full screen. But like it strikes me, there there needed to be something going on in my mind. Maybe I'm off base for you to even before deciding to make that leap, though, to like spend your weekends going to salons and doing interviews. Yeah, I think that you know, and I think that this is how most companies are started is by founders who are trying to solve a problem that they're exposed to. Right. So everyone's always trying to to build companies that are solutions for problems that they have. Mm-hmm. And we just, I think, got excited by this problem. And, you know, my background being in building technology for the creative individuals and like I got really, really excited. And Sean took some convincing that this was worth it. Uh, and like, it was it, that this could be a thing. Was it an aspiration for you to find something that you could use to found your own company? No, no. Uh, I am. And then uh, why were you doing? That? Yeah, I, it, <laughs> I, I think it just it it felt like the right thing to do. Yeah, I never considered myself an entrepreneur, and I, I mean, I really s- still don't. I, I think of myself as a fa- like a builder, um, and I, I love building things. And this wasn't uh, a way for us to, you know, think about like, oh, let's build a company and turn this into a massive business where we saw that, you know, there's a particular pain point that was experienced from both consumers and businesses and that we could provide something special. It felt like it was something that only we saw, which I Mm -hmm. think made it 
feel even more compelling to work on. And so we didn't know if we were crazy at first. Right. Like we, you know, always had this question of like, why hasn't anyone figured this out? This seems so obvious. I, I still don't know why we're, we're the only ones that have any type of kind of logic on top of the schedule uh, in that sense. But we saw it as a unique opportunity to build something really special and provide a lot of value to consumers and businesses. Well, that's super interesting. So once you decided and you started working on on Boulevard and and how did you decide what to what to focus on first and and how did you set your market for like what the first version was going to be or target for what the first version was going to be? So we focused on the businesses that had a front desk. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are generally the ones that really struggled with this getting the most out of every minute possible in the day. Uh, and so we focused on what would typically, you know, mid to upper market single locations to start. And we got introduced to a salon owner through a mutual friend uh, and they were based in New York and it was just a two person salon. And so we built our MVP uh, to be able to support their day-to-day functions. And they were using some other system. So we kind of had to get to a place where there was general feature parity to support them. So we built up kind of the, the features that we needed. And then we launched them, transitioned them off their previous solution. Um, and then we did all this in person. Uh, and then hung out with them for about a week or two after babysit the system, make sure there weren't problems. We were iterating in real time. Uh, Sean was, and I were like releasing code. And, you know, from there we found and got an intro to like our second customer um, through another mutual friend. How long did it take you to, from the, when you started to when it was live in that, that first salon? Uh, It took about nine months. And were you self-funding that? based on the consulting that you mentioned? Yeah, self-funding. And then after we launched with the first business, Sean and I actually both liquidated our 401ks and we didn't have the the time to continue to consult. Uh, so we bootstrapped the company uh, and, and put our life savings into it um, once we had traction from our first couple of customers. And that's when we started to hire uh, our first uh, employees to help us uh, continue to accelerate development and and that kind of thing. So again, liquidating your 401k is a pretty big step. Yeah. Yep. Did you try to do external fundraising before doing that? Uh, no, uh, at that point, not yet. We wanted to really validate the concept on our own dime. And then when we had paying customers and a decent customer base, we did a friends and family round. And then once we achieved a certain ARR milestone, we joined an accelerator, which was based in Los Angeles called Luma Launch. Uh, And we were part of that accelerator for about six months. And then we raised our series seed uh, following that. We went from, you know, kind of liquidating our savings, uh, living like college students, ramen noodle budget type of, um, to once we felt good about the value we we're providing, had the case studies and the customer feedback and, and had a pretty awesome MVP to, to show to investors. That's when we decided to fundraise. How nervous were the two of you? 
very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, it's one of those, both of us come from like really, really humble families and like, like there was no safety net. Um, and so like we were all in and I think often from when there's a lot of constraints, you have to find creativity. You know, we were all in, we were working all the time on this, uh, really gave it everything we had. And in hindsight, it, it was a good decision, but it could have equally <laughs> been a terrible decision. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things with, with founding stories is we talk to the people who are successful. So <laughs> would you recommend this path to other people? I think if it's something where you could see providing unique value to the world and that you have lots of validation mm -hmm. from real people, not just your friends, but from prospective customers. It was when we were talking to real businesses where they would say, this is something we would use and pay for. And so mm -hmm. after hearing that, dozens and dozens of times that matched with kind of the negative NPS scores of with their current solutions. That's where we're like, this can be something pretty special. Um, yeah. And so I, I wouldn't recommend building in isolation um, and making that leap of faith without you know, really doing your diligence on the opportunity. But yeah, it's, I think everyone at, at some point, if, if they have an idea or a problem they want to solve, should give it a go. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's AgencyU. AgencyU is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one -on -one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the agency you members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. That first customer that you were building the replacement for, were you charging them? No, we were not. Are they paying now? They are. They are. Okay. Very little. Um, yeah. They're a small business and mm -hmm. have, have been you know, staying super successful. And, um, and so in their earliest days, the learnings and feedback matter a lot more than yeah. revenue. Yeah. And so you optimize for that as opposed to kind of the economics. And so for us going and working on location at these businesses and, you know, they're paying us essentially and the learnings and, and teachings of understanding, helping us understand and absorb ourselves in this industry and working as front desks and doing the job that uh, all these professionals are uh, have to do. And so that's where we were able to build and get to a place where our, our products is, is really, really authentic. And it was from that like first, like direct observation. Yeah. I've worked on products before where they're currently being done by people. They might have technology solutions in place and, and they feel like 
there's no technology that will do this. We need to have a person being the one to do it because like you said, there's something special about a person doing it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes those businesses, when they have a solution, even if they've properly solved it, there's a lot of resistance from customers who are very skeptical Mm -hmm. that the technology is going to be able to do it the right way. Have you encountered that? Absolutely. How do you combat that? We iterated on essentially the objections. So Mm -hmm. the first objection was that people can't book online because it's going to mess up my day. And so we created this, what we call precision scheduling, where it does the optimization of uh, on the calendar and then the next issue was that we started seeing some no-shows coming because i think it's there's this mental analog of like if you miss an open table reservation not as big of a deal but in our industry that we're serving if you miss a two-hour appointment that professional's out a significant amount of their income for the week uh and so that's where we actually started dipping our toes in payments and we started requiring credit card at the time of booking just to authorize the card and to hold the appointment. And so uh, that objection of, of no shows we solved there, there was a lot of concern of like, Hey, like our customers, like they're not going to know the right thing to book. And we're, we have learned that customers actually are very savvy uh, and that the clients just kind of deserve more credit than the professionals are giving them. That if a woman gets a balayage, like she knows it's a balayage. Um, and so we usually, the way that we overcame that objection was like, we work with them and have best practices on like menu design. Uh, mm-hmm. But that they also then, when they're giving a service, that they discuss what they actually did in that service so that the customer knows what to book next time if they want the same thing. Um, and so that was kind of the patterns, like build something, learn, iterate, and do it on location with these businesses so that we could see it firsthand in an unbiased way. Uh, and so that's really how we were able to build such a, a product that with this amount of scale and overcome some of those initial objections. Is it easier now that you have 2000 plus customers, some social capital out there, they can ask other people, is this working for you? Is that, is that easier now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It like one of the the ways we didn't have a sales team for a long time in our company and we're actually under the radar. We were stealth, didn't announce anything about ourselves for the first like three or four years. And so like we were just very much focused on product development, building something that was incredible that, and then we were really fed off of referrals in that word of mouth. So it's, I think when you get a product that people love, they're going to tell their friends about it. And for us, that really helped accelerate our growth. So, yeah. So this was all taking place in what year? So we transitioned out of our last company and um, started doing part-time work in summer of 2015. Mm -hmm. And then we officially launched our first customer in spring of 2016. Cool. Yeah. And I I think that that is, you know, you didn't get to 2000 customers overnight, right? You've been at this for a while. 
Yeah, the, the barrier to entry was, is, is very high in the market, right? Because in VCs call our type of opportunity a, a brownfield opportunity, where there's a lot of legacy solutions in the market. Mm-hmm. And like we compete with some companies that were actually started like before I was born. <laughs> and so they've had many decades to build functionality into their platform that we need to get to some level of feature parity with in order to seamlessly transition them off of their previous solution to our platform. And it did take a significant upfront investment with product in order to get to, to be able to pay the price of admission and to be able to actually compete in the market. So one of the things I'm curious about is, do you have a sense of what does the overall market look like? I, I feel like there are probably lots of salons, spas, haircutting places. There's a lot of them all over the world. There are. Yeah. So we believe that there's about 500,000 uh, self-care businesses in the United States. Just in the United States. Yeah, just in the United States. And the um, employee base and kind of the, the labor market is about two to two and a half million professionals uh, across all those businesses. So where do you think the hurdles in terms of continued growth are for you? So one of the, the areas that we focus on is, so all, all of these self-care businesses are about 90% similar in how they operate. And mm-hmm. so like we started in the hair salon vertical and then have expanded into many adjacent verticals over the course of the past few years. Like we really like tried to make sure that we had really, really strong product market fit in hair salons, which is the biggest self-care market. And before we like expanded into say nail salons, when expanding into adjacent verticals, there's some functionality that is kind of unique to those verticals. And so for example, one of our recent verticals that we expanded into is med spas. Uh, and the way that med spas charge for uh, their services is is generally based on the products that are used. And so if you buy 100 units of Botox, um, they charge a per unit fee. And so that was something that was pretty unique to the med spa market that isn't doesn't exist in in other uh, the self care markets. And so. Vertical expansion is a vector of growth for us and then segment expansion. So we started with the the single location, very small uh, businesses, and then we have worked our way up to enterprise where we're powering chains and franchises of uh, hundreds of locations. And then the other aspect, kind of the third vector of growth is the different product sets that and, and functionality that we are releasing to our customers. So continuing to develop the platform, but also look at different opportunities where we can provide outsized value by developing it ourselves. So I could, we could literally talk all day and I <laughs> talk you about scaling and product and, and that kind of thing. So, but one thing I'm interested in before we wrap up is I think it's really special to found a company with you know a designer, a product person, and an engineer. And I can tell even just by looking at the site and the product that you very highly value design and creating a product that people love to use. Absolutely. How does that lead you to creating Duo, which is a point of sale card reader? 
One of the things that we saw in, in the market was this like real importance in you know, service design. So like what information is showing when to the users of our, our technology. So there's kind of that aspect of what's the overall experience. Then there's the product design. How easy is it to use? How quickly can like new employees, like new front desk staff, how quickly can they get ramped up and start using the system? Do they need two weeks of training? And for us, no, like we tried to make it as intuitive and as familiar as possible. And then we look to see how else can we extend design? And one of the complaints that we always receive from customers was that hardware options were always like pretty ugly, that all of them look, you know, dated, like the kind of, you know, hardware that you use at a supermarket and uh, they wanted something that was more sleek and that they weren't ashamed to have on their countertop uh, for checkout. Uh, and so that's where we decided to invest in building our own hardware. And that was particularly exciting um, for us. So it's been really, really well received from our customers. And it was a really fun project to work on. Getting into the hardware space is, is always challenging. But like as a designer, it was like super cool to build something that became physical for the first time in my life. Does the logic that led to you creating Duo eventually lead you to creating an entire hardware point-of-sale system? We're assessing kind of all opportunities. There's a, this kind of interesting moment happening in the payment space where like Apple you know, announced that uh, I think they're piloting now that you won't need hardware in order to accept credit card payments on the iPhone. You'll just be able to do it right on against an iPad. Exactly. So I think there's a real question as to what is the... And I, I'm sure this is something that, you know, folks like Square are, are thinking about that have really best in class uh, hardware um, is like, what is the future of hardware uh, look like for uh, fintech companies? Uh, and is it just going to kind of fold into you know, the actual devices or are, will you continue to need standalone uh, readers? That's something that we're we're constantly thinking about and, and keeping smart on kind of the latest developments in that. But you know, our expertise and what we love is building incredible software. The hardware was something area that we saw that we could provide unique value. But our our goal is to always be a software company. You generally don't make uh, much uh, money off of the hardware piece uh, in in this business. Now. How personally involved were you in the hardware project? Uh, I was very involved, uh, potentially too involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, you know, as a founder, when new projects come up like this that maybe you're interested in, how do you either hold yourself back or not hold yourself back from being involved in them? I think when the company is venturing into new territory, entirely new like uncharted waters. That's when it's valuable for you know me or any founder to like get really really smart on what's the opportunity, what's the risks, all that kind of stuff. Um, and in this case, my experience working at our initial customers for the first couple of years of our, our business was really really impactful. And so like our, our duo 
captures. And the reason why it's called duo is because it's a countertop, but also you can take the top off and like you can do a in-chair checkout. So like you could bring it over to the customer and they can check out right while they're in the chair as an express checkout. And so like those types of things I learned while being on location working at these businesses. And so I was providing a lot of the guidance and kind of conceptualizing how we could think about what a hardware offering would be that would be unique to us and collaborated with our our head of design and then an industrial designer to get the kind of proof of concept there. And you said potentially too involved. So (laughs) why, why did you say that? You know, I think as a founder, you are always trying to figure out like what, what altitude are you flying at? And there's some Mm -hmm. things that you will need to uh, dive in and be very hands-on. And then there's other times to be just to guide and and support and coach. And I think for this, because it was like a a new project, you know, I was particularly excited to be able to get into hardware because that was a a first for me that, you know, was involved in all aspects of it. Um, But uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for you know stopping by and, and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. If folks want to find out more about Boulevard, uh, about joining the team, about becoming a customer, or to just to get in touch with you, where are all the different places that they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the best place is just on our website. Uh, we are hiring across uh, kind of all levels and all functions, um, especially on the the product design and engineering side. Um, and so our website is join Boulevard, J-O-I-N-B-L-V-D.com. There, there's the about page and there it links out to my LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to connect and get acquainted, that's the probably the easiest way to do it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. This was a pleasure. You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with links for everything that Matt just mentioned, including a complete transcript of the episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.